Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and Reformation Roundtable exists to plant a Reformed church in the Lewis County area of Washington State. Now, in Lewis County, there are two major cities, Centralia and Chehalis, a combined total population of probably around less than 50,000, but more than 25,000. We feel that a Reformed church in this region is the work that the Lord has given us to do. We have a vision for it. Uh, where the people don't have a vision, they perish. We feel the Lord has given us this work to do, and we are plowing in hope. We're doing this work in hope that the Lord will bring about the growth. And so we have a fellowship night that we recorded, and we'd like you to, to listen in. There's a discussion that takes place. First, there's a couple songs. Then there's a discussion on Christian education and seven-day creation. Then we sing a couple more songs, and we close with the doxology. That's our fellowship night. Now, why does that matter? Well, we're going through the CREC, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. We're going through their book of memorials. There are seven memorials total, and this week we are going over Memorial C and Memorial D. Those two memorials are Christian education and the importance of seven-day creation. And the point of the memorials are for like-mindedness. We want our people that are a part of this church to be of a like-minded nature. That doesn't mean everybody has to believe exactly the same things, but we do want like-mindedness in areas that we are convicted that are critical. And we find that uh, a total reliance on Christian education and how that gets implemented is going to be very, uh, is going to change from parent to parent, but an absolute emphasis on Christian education. And then the importance of seven-day creation. I'll leave the discussion for you to listen to. If you'd like to join us in what we're doing, we would love to have you. We can be found at lewiscounty.church, so not .com, but lewiscounty.church. We're going to be meeting again, and I will save the details for anybody who would like to hear about them, but we're going to be meeting again very soon, and we're actually going to have Pastor Dave Hatcher of Trinity Church in Kirkland. He's actually going to come and visit us, and he's going to go through the logistics of what it would look like for Trinity Church to oversee this church plant. Basically give the structure, guidance, and authority to this church to make it a missional church plant. That's what we're that's what we want to see happen. That's what we're trusting the Lord to bring about. And so if you'd like to be a part of that discussion with Pastor Dave Hatcher, it's coming up very soon in the next few days reach out to me at the contact page at lewiscounty.church. I would love to give you the contact information, give you the time, details, and have you come. With that, I hope you enjoy this discussion, and I hope you're blessed. And I hope you join us in our mission to bring a missional Reformed Church to Lewis County. One of the things about Reformed theology 
is the, the thing that, uh, speaking personally, that attracted me to Reformed theology uh, a while ago, many years ago, was the reverence for God. Just like this high uh, view of who God is, not as distant, because God is not distant from us, but the ways of God are so much higher than our ways, and his glory is beyond anything that we have the ability as finite creatures to comprehend. So we're going to sing that one. We're going to sing one we sang last week, which is a, a, a setting of Psalm 23, the, the King of Love My Shepherd Is. And then I'm going to teach you guys a new psalm after our discussion, and then we'll close with, uh, with 4,000 tongues to sing in the doxology. Um, these, I don't need to keep these, so if you want, to, if you want these, if you want to take them home with you, they're, they're, all, they're yours to keep. I, I, I don't do anything with them afterwards, so, so you guys can, uh, can have them if you want them. Okay, I think we're all here. Um, bathrooms are right around the corner there in case you need them. And uh, I'll go ahead and open this up in prayer. <clears throat> Gracious God in heaven, here we are, your people. And we are each um, known by you in such a way that we couldn't even begin to know ourselves. You know not only the hairs on our heads, but you know every thought in our body. You know, you know every cell that is um, currently undergoing the many, the, the thousands of complex processes that you have designed in each one of our cells. You are king and lord over all of those things. And we pray, Father, that as we come before you and sing and worship you, that you would be glorified, and that we would uh, do everything for your glory and not for our own. We pray, Father, for a uh, distinctly, biblically, and unapologetically reformed church here in Lewis County, and we thank you for each one of these souls that are here tonight. May we honor you with our, with our words and our deeds. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, gratefully sing. Yeah. 
turn over to Psalm 23, next page. Now, if you, you'll notice here that, um, I think I talked about this last week, there are different ways of singing hymns. There is singing them directly from Scripture. Sometimes people will chant them. Sometimes people will uh, set them to actual tunes. Um, and then there's magical psalms where you take each verse and you arrange it until it rhymes. Uh, and then there's also kind of like paraphrase psalms. And this is more of a paraphrase psalm, and so it follows the structure of the psalm, but it's definitely not identical to the psalm. But if you look right below it, you'll see, you'll get a little taste. Half of a metrical psalm of Psalm 23, and the other half is on the next page of the book. But these are both settings of Psalm 23, and at some point we'll probably learn that the metrical setting of uh, Psalm 23 as well, which is called The Lord is My Shepherd. But for now, we're going to sing The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, Whose goodness Take a moment here to. I actually had the opportunity to talk 
for about 15 minutes a couple days ago with Dave Hatcher just to kind of address some of the questions that came up last week where, you know, it was kind of like um, somebody brought up like, hey, if we don't agree with all of these things, is membership cut off or, or is it eldership that's cut off or, or what is it? And, and, and Dave was a whole lot less hardline on either of those things. Basically, he said what these memorials are is there more ideas for a church to embrace, but not everybody in the church necessarily has to be completely sold on them. And the reason why that church, the, the church as a whole, needs to more or less embrace these is because um, these are the kinds of things that the CREC is going to be teaching about. These, are, these, are, these along with the confessions, are going to be the, the trajectory that the teaching is going to be um, centered around. And so if, if you don't agree with them as a whole, if the whole body is more or less out of sync with those things, then it's probably not a good fit to go with the CREC. And so this is, we have a, another friend who's not associated with the CREC, but he runs, a, he runs another church, and it's a reformed church, and he said that he started doing membership classes for everybody and requiring them before they could become members because he didn't want anything to surprise them. Uh, he said he had some people that had been worshiping for three years before they, and, and they wanted to become members, and they found out that they weren't a charismatic church. And this apparently was like a big surprise to them. And he's like, you've been worshiping with us for three years. Can you tell we weren't charismatic? But, but, the, but, his, but the idea is, is, like, get it all out there. We're not trying to hide anything. And, you know, we want to be up front. And so what we're, these are memorials. These are not scripture. These are meant to be argued over and debated. Um, and, but, but I actually, the, the first one here we're going to talk about on Christian Ed has a lot of um, scripture with it. And so I, I want to interact with some of that scripture while we go through it. Uh, but I just, I hope that's helpful t that, that these are not, these are not lit litmus tests or acid tests really t for membership for sure. Um, or even necessarily for eldership. If, for example, you had some issue with the way ministerial training took place. I don't think that necessarily would be a deal breaker for eldership. It would just be something like, hey, this is what the church or the denomination as a whole believes. And so can you, can you get in line with it at least not teaching against it and spreading di di division? You know, we want like-mindedness. Even if everybody doesn't think exactly the same way, we don't want to be actively at odds with one another with any, any group. So does that kind of make sense? Okay, anybody have any, any before we jump into this, any thoughts on that or anything that they'd like to clear up as far as what these memorials are and what, what they aren't? Yeah, that. So, Joe, did he say that you need to agree with one of these other confessions and this, or is this one of the seven that he talked about? Yeah, that, so these are these are not confessions. Uh, and I looked up to, to describe what a memorial is. It's basically just a written statement. Um, but it's not it's not such a binding statement as to be put into a confession. So it's like scriptures here, and then you've got creeds and confessions here, and then memorials are down here. Uh, scripture, of course, we can never we can never touch. Confessions we can argue with, but pretty much we wanna we wanna respect the the the, the heritage of our fathers who put those together. Um, and then memorials are more speaking to what we what we've got right now. So all of these memorials would be consistent with the CREC as a as a general trajectory. 
if that makes sense. So it's not like these are My all. My question was more like, remember he said you had to agree with one thing. Right. This is not one of the options. Right. This is yeah. beyond, this is. Yes. So you pick one of those, and yep. this is also something else to, to get to know the, the options that Exactly. From from the standpoint of like-mindedness. Yeah. Like, hey, this is, this is what we all have like-mindedness on. Can you guys have like-mindedness too? And if not, then probably this is the best thing. Any other thoughts? Okay. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna jump in on Christian education. Um, we'll just go through it. We've got we've got two two to do. Um, we'll get through Christian Ed for sure, I think. And I think we can even get to, to uh, seven day creation. But if not, we'll at least we'll at least tackle Christian Ed here. So um, all things are to be considered and conducted under the lordship of Jesus Christ, including education, and especially the education of our covenant children. So right, right out of the gate, we've got the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What, what does that mean? What does the Lordship of Jesus Christ mean? Before we can even get into the other things, I just wanted to open up a little bit about that idea of Lordship. What, what does that mean? And what do you guys, when you hear the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what comes into your mind? Well, I hear the preeminence. The preeminence? Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you're talking about something from a first principles, that everything, everything's got to flow out of that, yep. out of the, out of understanding that it's not just, he is your Lord and Savior, right? So yep. you're not just recognizing them as the point of salvation, but also as the, the head. Yes. The headship. So yep. that's how, that's how I would interpret that. Yeah. The position of being at the front there would make it the, in my mind, the most important aspect right. of understanding what's going to come next. So. Yeah. Good. Uh, total submission. Total submission. Yeah. Absolutely. That's really good. Yeah, we've got, we've got all sorts of things competing for our time, our attention. They, they're all trying to get us to go one way or the other, and our question always has to be. Um, how is Jesus Lord over this, and how does that change my decision? How does this influence what I'm going to do? Um, and so they're saying that education is needs to be taken under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and especially the education of our covenant children. Uh, then, then it goes on to say, God has not charged the state to educate children, but has explicitly commanded parents to bring up their children in the education and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Two verses here, it says, Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The fear and admonition of the Lord, that word is paideia. That means the total inculcation of the Lord. That word paideia, other people have told me this, but that word paideia was used at the time to raise up Greek children completely within the realm of Greek culture. So everything was submitted to the, to the realm of Greek culture, and that's how parents brought their children up. And Paul was using that word paideia, which people knew, and saying, this is how you need to train them up in the Lord. Uh, and then Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, all the time. This is something that needs to happen all the time. So then it goes on and it says, given the importance of the task, uh, and then, it's, then it, uh, it quotes, uh, or cites Psalm 127, which I won't read the whole thing, but it's about children being a heritage from the Lord, a gift from the Lord. But it ends with saying, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The only way the man who has a quiver full of children, his children are going to speak with the enemies in the gate 
is if they're well educated to contend with the enemies in the gate. Children, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of rebuke drives it far from them, and so children don't naturally tend in this direction. It takes parents to do it. So then it says, um, given the importance of the task and the impossibility of neutrality in education, now that's an important thing, and we can, we can park there for a second, the impossibility of neutrality in education. And then they cite Proverbs 1.7, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Matthew 12.30, which says, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Luke 6.40 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Um, and then finally, Colossians uh, 2, and I'll just read verse 8, which is, Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. So they're saying that, the, that education, it's impossible for education to be neutral. What do we think about that? Can we agree with that? Do we disagree with that? I agree with it. I agree with it. And especially, especially when with the scripture cited. I mean, mm -hmm. it just, that, right. that kind of brings in better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yes, Connor. Does that mean that you're always having, when you're being taught, you're always, there's always an opinion being taught. It's not, you can't be neutral with what you're Perfect. Yep, you got it exactly right. Yeah. Someone's worldview is always gunning for you when, they're, when you're being taught. Whose worldview is it? It's less obvious in certain things like math. Math is like, you know, two plus two equals four, but why? Well, because ultimately, because Jesus is king. <laughs> if, if Jesus wasn't king, two plus two wouldn't equal four. It's a little bit harder to see the fact that there is no neutrality in math, but you, get, you see it right away in science. You see it right away in English. You see it right away in history. Math, I don't know, math, Thad, you can give us, how is, uh, how is math not neutral? <laughs> or is it? Oh, I mean, I... It, it's not so much the subject. I think any of these, it's it's the personality and the structure of their class. And uh, I mean, definitely my teaching is is greatly influenced by my yeah. the lordship of Christ in my life. And yeah. I've had a lot of students that come up to me and say, you know, "What's different about you? how you bring your class the way you do?" And, yeah. So they're seeing that lack of neutrality. Yep. Yep. Amen. Well, now I think they're even. They're even trying to say that two plus two equals four, but to you it may not equal four. I mean, you know, it's out, it's absurd, but it's out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, math has become a lot less. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's been. It's. Um, they're opening up doors and making it even more possible to bring in your. Yeah, census on this equation. Yeah. Right. You gotta well, change the answer or it's gonna offend someone. Right? Yeah. You know, Romans one talks a lot about how sin sin makes you stupid. And it, it actually makes it when 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 you don't have Christ enlightening your heart, um, you might live in a Christian culture that you get some kind of common grace from that, but as that culture decays, Christ stops being the king of that culture, at least explicitly, the insanity of sin will destroy your brain to where you'll start doubting things like can this boy is this boy really a boy 
Uh, is this girl really a girl? Does two plus two really equal four? So yeah, so so education's not neutral. It's it, it's impossible to be neutral. Um, uh, so if, as we go along here, it says, given the importance of the task, the impossibility of neutrality in education, we do heartily affirm the necessity of educating our children in a manner that is explicitly Christian in content and rigor. Okay, now what what they're saying right there, so we don't go beyond what they're saying, is that. What's necessary is that the education of children must be explicitly Christian in content and rigor. Because they're going to go on to talk about government schools, public, the public school system. Um, but if education is not neutral, then that's why they're heartily affirming that it must be explicitly Christian. So just so we have that in mind before we go into the next part. Government schools tend to be, by decree and design, explicitly godless and therefore normally should not be considered a legitimate means of inculcating true faith, holy living, and a decidedly Christian worldview in the children of Christian parents. Now, I know that's kind of like a, could be a bomb. It could be like a kind of a bit of an inflammatory statement for, for some people. Um, but I want, to, I want us to focus precisely on what it's saying. It's saying that government schools tend to be, so this is, this is the general trajectory, um, godless. And, and we don't talk about godless like, oh, you know, there's no Christians in it, or that the administration can't be Christian, but that the, the curriculum itself is designed explicitly to separate church and state. Now, they would, they would say that they separate all religion from it, and, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. That's a different discussion. But it explicitly does not start with Proverbs 1.7 which is the fear of the Lord. It does not start there, and, and nor would they want to. They'd be proud of the fact that they don't. And so this is saying that, uh, that the memorial is saying that, they, that, that that is not a legitimate means. Government school is not usually a legitimate means of inculcating true faith. So it's not, not that you're wicked if you send your kids to government school, but that if the, if the commandment is to inculcate true faith in your children, if that's what scripture commands us to do, that the government school is not generally a legitimate way of doing that. Because we're trying to inculcate true faith, holy living, and a decidedly Christian worldview. Um, and that is the role of Christian parents. So it's kind of like, if the state does it, they're going to do it this way. If parents do it, they're going to do it this way. Um, that's, a big, that's a big statement to unpack. I've kind of given it my shot. Anybody have any thoughts they'd like to, to add to that? Why they agree with it, why they disagree with it, why they think it goes too far or not far enough. I think in history we generally see that if you're not teaching God first, that you're going the other direction no matter what point you are. Yeah. You don't hold neutral. You're always on a slide going somewhere. I think I'm going to comment when we're at the end. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, in having several conversations over this, one of the things that um, one of the things I think has been kind of helpful to think about is that uh, people will say, "Well, you know, I went to government school, and I I'm still Christian. I never lost my faith there." And, and I know lots of people went to Christian schools, and you know, they're atheists now, which is it's a valid point. It, uh, it, Sending your kids to a Christian school does not guard them against unbelief, 
of any kind, to, to the highest degree of rebellious unbelief, to just a backsliding um, away from the faith. Um, but the question is, can a government school offer your kids the fear of the Lord? Can a Christian school offer your kids the fear of the Lord? We know the answer to the first one is no. The government school can't. And we know the, question, the answer to the second one is it could, at least in theory. It might not, but at least it could. And the same goes for homeschooling. Um, just, because, um, just because you homeschool or you Christian school doesn't mean your kids are guaranteed to, to not backslide. But what it does mean is that you at least are setting the groundwork for inculcating the fear of the Lord. Uh, in, the fear, uh, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, so then it goes on and it says, uh, therefore we struck. Yeah, go ahead, Dad. Just push back a little bit. Sure. I guess I would say that it's not the school that's setting the fear and admonition of the Lord, it's myself. So I'm not relying on the Christian school or the public school to do that. I'm possibly using them as an outlet to train my kid in mathematics because I'm not very good at it. Sure. Um, but. The key is that I'm in charge of my kids' education. I've brought them up in the fear and admission of the Lord. I've set up groundwork for them, and I've prepared them possibly for what they're going to come across when they get to the public school, you know? Yep. Um, but but it's, it's something that I think the key to this is that I'm in charge of my kids' Amen. upbringing and education, yep. not someone else. And even if it's a Christian school, if I'm sending yes. my kid off to Christian school, to get them trained up in the fear and the Lord, then I'm not doing my job. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm hand them off to someone else. Yep. Okay. You're, you're, I 100% agree with you because, because it's the parents' role. It's not the Christian school's job. It's certainly not the, the state's job, which, which is not going to do it anyways. And then it's also even not like a Christian tutor's job. Right. It's like if you homeschool and you use tutors to teach your kids math, it's not their job either. So you're 100% right. That, I want to kind of piggyback on that a little bit too, yeah. because one of the things that I could see happening potentially with Memorial, while it does go on to, to kind of clarify things a little bit, is that in a church where that has this really strong emphasis, that you could end up with a second class member, where you have members that are in that are being strongly encouraged and continually pushed, but because for whatever reason in their life and their set of circumstances that their kids are going to a public school that all of a sudden now, well, you're not in, you're not fully in the group. I mean, you're in the group, but only by, only by document and not necessarily by the warm party reception of, of the congregation, right? And I think it goes on to kind of talk about yeah. being warmly received, but I could see how this yeah. could potentially be used as a leverage point for cliques or groups that start forming, um, which are nat our natural product of human, sure. human fall, but we want to try and be conscientious of that, I think. So, so that would be like an awesome thing to guard against, because uh, I totally agree with you there. There would be like a, a tendency, we all have this pride in us that wants to look down on other people. We all want to be like the, the Pharisee that says, thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. Um, but at the same time, we, we like founding principles. We have founding principles for a reason, and they're, they're there because to not have founding principles means, you know, if you eliminate all of the, all of the principles, then yes, everybody's on the same, you know, on the same level, so to speak, but it's, 
but you have those for a reason because you're trying to encourage Christian maturity. And so if somebody is in a position where they, they feel like there is no alternative but a government school education for their kids, and that might be totally legitimate. If somebody's in that position, by having a memorial like this that's held dearly by the congregation, that congregation probably will be more likely to band together and say, what can we do to help you so that this doesn't have to be the case? So that you, you know, can we pool some money so you to put together tuition? Can we, what, what can we do? But if you don't have this as a unifying principle, that's probably not gonna happen. It's gonna be kind of each, each to itself. Uh, yeah, go I, for it. I will speak now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, I just get happy when you speak. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things my father taught me, and one of the things I learned in the military, is that you cannot delegate responsibility. You can't. Now, we we it does happen in whatever version of the world that we live in now. When you think about relativism and all these other things, when you when you got this touchy feely thing going on, but you. I think the, the gist of this is that if, if you have no alternative but to send your child to a public school, we know what goes on in the public school. We know what doesn't go on in the public school. We understand that. So our responsibility as a parent, and then our responsibility as well as a body of believers, is to count, you know, is to displace what they're getting with the truth, with the yeah. truth of the scripture, with yeah. God, and all that. So we're, we're like that said, we don't abrogate our responsibility. Yep. Just like we don't, as parents, we should not turn our kids over to a youth pastor and go, well, they're getting what they need, and that's all that they need, and I'm good with that. And then they come home, and, and it's like, well, it was, this was going on here, Mom. Why aren't we doing it here? Why are we watching this on TV? You know, I've just seen so much responsibility just get yep. shifted off, and I, I have a hunch that God's not real happy about that. And I think, I think that's, and you know, I'll confess, I, I've been guilty of that. I mean, I'm reaping, you know, dealing with it now. But anyway, I think this is what it's got to yeah. talk about. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. That ultimately, if the one thing we pull away from this is that parents are responsible to train their children up in the free admonition of the Lord. It's a win. It's a win for the evening. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's, we'll, uh, we'll uh, finish off the, uh, this paragraph. It says, Therefore, we strongly encourage Christian parents to seek alternative ways of educating their children, whether by means of Christian schools or by homeschooling. In cases where Christian education is an impossibility, parents must be active and diligent in overseeing the education of their children. So, I mean, there's Christian education. Being, they're, they're acknowledging the fact that uh, it might be impossible to give your kids a Christian education. Uh, we have some friends from Brazil. I don't know if it's still the case, but I think it's illegal not to send your kids to the government school. Um, so we've got a lot to be thankful for here in the United States. So in, th in their kind of situations, it's still on the parents to be active and diligent. But maybe even more so when they, when they know their kids are being exposed to cultural Marxism or whatever it might be. Um, uh, and then next paragraph says, parents who do not fully understand the indispensability of Christian education. Now, let me, let me park there for just a second. Um, it could, you could look at that and you could think, ah, oh, that's a little bit of a snooty way of saying it. Parents who do not fully understand the indispensability of Christian education. But it's not saying parents who don't understand what we just said uh, and agree with it. it. It's saying that Christian education is indispensable. 
some Christian parents aren't going to see that. They're just not going to see it. They just aren't at the point in their spiritual life yet where that's going to be um, obvious. They should still be warmly received into membership. Um, but then it says, however, the leaders of Christ's church must thoroughly understand and plainly teach the divine imperatives to discipline our children. The divine prohibition of rendering unto Caesar those things that bear God's image and the divine warning to those who cause their little ones to stumble, as well as the divine promises to those who raise their children in faith. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a long, that's a long sentence, but the, but the idea is that the leaders need to have a pretty good grasp of this. This is, a, this is an important one that the leaders of a church are in unison on and teaching in unity, in unity on. And there's several reasons for this. Um, there, we can't render to Caesar those, those things that are not Caesar's. If, it's, if it says George Washington on it, you can render it to George Washington. Our kids don't bear the image of Caesar. They bear the image of God. And so we can't send them over to the state, to Caesar, to, to train. Um, and then Elizabeth and I were just talking about Matthew 18.6. I see your hand, Eva. Uh, Matthew 18.6 is about, you know, anyone who causes these little ones to stumble, let them be cast, uh, millstone cut around his neck and cast into the sea. Uh, sometimes you can look at that passage and you can think, wow, God is wrathful. But you can also look at it, as Elizabeth pointed out to me today, as, wow, God loves children. <laughs> this is how much God loves children. He is willing, anybody who causes them to stumble, to cast them into the sea. And so God takes this extremely seriously, um, and so should we. Um, and, and because of that, there, he gives us great, great promises. Just listen to some of these promises. Um, uh, it says, therefore, the, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, Psalm 103 says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Um, so and there's there's more. I won't read any more. I know Ava's got her hand up. But uh, Ava, what do you want to yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, what, he's still on the he's still on the dollar bills. Yeah, Dean. Good question. Yes. What about a church that has a member who has four children and she's widowed? Mm -hmm. I think it's very. I've seen it where homeschoolers look down their nose at this person who has to send their kids to public school. Because they're working full time, hmm. put food on the table and pay the mortgage or rent. Sure. Is it the church's responsibility to step in and take care of, as the scriptures command the church to do, care for the widows and orphans? And if they really believe in this, they should step up and say, here's the cash, we'll pay for your kids to go to public school. To Christian school. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Slap my face. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. And, and in fact, when we went to church in uh, Spokane, there, there was a, a gal there who um, uh, had three sons, and the church paid for all of their, their tuition. Because I, I don't want to offend anybody here, but I think we all know I'll be the guy who calls it out. There's a degree of self-righteousness in those who go to Christian schools, looking down on those who go to public schools because they're better. Mm. And uh, that's not good. Mm -mm. 
No. Definitely not. No, you're absolutely right. We want to guard against that for sure. Hey, Joe. Yes. Just a quick question on this. So, like, how far do we would we extend this with our children? So, you know, this, this is specifically about education, but like, right? You know, their kids play sports year round, and like, are we are we supposed to look for a Christian alternative for basketball camp or basketball league? Right. Yeah. Great. Great question. I. I think. I. You know, wisdom is oftentimes making hard choices, um, and making hard choices when there isn't a clear command. One of the differences between um, the priestly time of the Old Testament and the kingly time of the Old Testament is the priests were always told what to do. There was. It's like you do this, you don't do that. That's end of story. When it came around the time of the kings, it was Solomon decided to cut a baby in half. And his wisdom, the wisdom of that idea, spread throughout all the kingdom. And so I say that as a way of prefacing my answer to that is that I don't necessarily have a hard and fast rule for that. Um, I know that when you talk about raising your children up, um, the school day is like at least 30 hours a week. And that's nine months out of the year, at least in normal times when, when people aren't at home. It's 30 hours a week. That's uh, an occasional basketball camp or even after school practice, I would be a, a whole lot more comfortable with as long as, once again, the responsibility is firmly placed on my shoulders to be shepherding them in this. You know, it's not like you just do whatever your coach says. You do, you know, you do whatever your coach says unless he's telling you to disobey God or whatever, whatever the, the, the case might be. That's how I would look at this. So this would not be something like, oh, your kids can't do you know, an after-school program, or they can't do basketball, or they can't, you know, they can't, they have to go to a Christian college even, I mean, you, you could, you could take it out to, at some point, they have to go out into the world and interact with the world. Um, Christian education is basic training for children, and it's uncharitable to put a person who hasn't gone through basic training out into a war zone without the proper training that they need. And that's, that's the, the big idea of this. And so if your kids are brand new Christians or they're weak Christians, um, but they're graduating from high school, you might be real careful where you send them to college. Um, whereas, you know, you might have a kid who's in the eighth grade and is just so rock solid, you think, well, you know, probably a state university isn't going to be, isn't going to be the end of his faith. It, once again, it's going to have to be wisdom on a case-by-case basis. But in terms of, you know, your little ones going to school every day, this is, this has to be, you know, the, the, the big, the big focus of, of our, of our conviction. It's like, I've got to inculcate you all day, every day with Jesus Christ. Ava. Well, did Solomon know that he, that one of the women would say that they wanted a baby, or was he actually going to a thing and say? He would not have actually got the baby. Because he was a wise man, and that would have not been wise. What would he do if no, no one said anything? He just got accident. <laughs> I think he knew what would happen. Kirby, Kirby, is that kind of? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, or, or is it? So I, I guess the thing is, the memorial is mostly written out or pulled out of education because it's the largest component of kids' time and Right. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, uh, you, 
parents are responsible for their kids in everything, including education. A lot of parents think, okay, in education, I, that's not my role, I'm not a teacher. And, and, and this is saying, no, you are. You're, you're, you may not be the one that's teaching them the math or the algebra, but you're the one that's responsible for what they're learning and how it's affecting them. Great, great, uh, great thoughts, you guys. Any, anybody else have any? I was going to say, I, I maybe everybody's thought about it, just that it said to disciple our children rather than to discipline. Just Did I say discipline? I said discipline. Yeah, it's okay. But, I mean, I Thank you. I meant punish. I meant to say punish. This is very good. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Dis uh, so, disciple. Maybe to draw Andrew's question a little bit further, what if we, let's say we're way down the line and we have a church and we're, yeah. it's going well and we have a family that's seeking a good reformed church and they show up at our doors and they somehow hear this or read about this and they and their response is not that, well, it's not that I don't understand. I fully understand and I have raised my kids in the Lord and I'm okay with sending them to the public school. So that's different than what mm -hmm. this is saying. This is saying if we got some part that just doesn't really understand it, you know, right. we'll just train them up and eventually they'll kind of come alongside and they'll, they'll get it. You know? Sure. I guess I want to make sure that what this is real, what this is saying, and what it's not saying. Sure. And I don't know if maybe that's a question to ask Dave, or maybe it's a question yeah. that we need to decide. Yeah. Really, it's a discussion that we have to decide among ourselves. Yep. You know, what is it that this is really saying? Yeah. At, at first blush, what I would what I would probably say is um, that's not the general consensus that we have. And you're, you know, welcome. We want you to be a part of this. If yeah. you got into a position of leadership, would you not teach against? against what we kind of have some unity on. Yeah. Um, not that you can't let people know that you have a different conviction, but don't actively try to undermine the right. conviction. That'd be, but that's a great question to ask Dave, because I don't, I mean, that's, I've never had experience with that. You know, what's, what's interesting is uh, um, at OCRC, when we were up in Olympia, going to the Christian Reform Church, people who were from the Midwest, Public school was a foreign concept to them because the churches typically paid for school. Hmm. It was just like they they sponsored, they raised money, they had scholarships, hmm. and the churches would typically either, if not fully, they would at least mostly offset the cost of the Christian education. Wow. And we were like, "Wow, wouldn't that be nice?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but you know. Luke's thinking six boys. Yeah. Let's start a church. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's that's just a that's like a you know there there's unity in those in those yeah. regions in this topic even yeah. though there's not unity maybe in our region for that same for yeah. that same denomination you know? right and so it's good interesting to see how that how right. those kind of you know. Are wishy-washy around around different areas of the of the United States, but yeah, um, I can see how though if you have union in that and that's kind of part of your church, like you take it to the extreme, like you say, no, we're going to pay for mm. you, you know, right? You know, the churches take it seriously, they yeah, and they gun for it, right? Not, I, I love that. I mean, it, ultimately, it's like, hey, we care about your children this much. Mm -hmm. There's actually a dollar sign attached right. to it. It's not right. just it's right. not just good feelings. 
Yeah, there was a church in Omak that was looking around saying there's no alternative. So they started a Christian church in their, I mean, Christian school. <laughs> yeah, Christian church. <laughs> started a Christian school because they're saying, well, if we're really committed to this, then we need to provide some. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's great. That's a great uh, story there. Okay, are we good to move on to creation? Memorial D. Okay. Um, doctrine of creation lies at the heart of Christian living. Deeply embedded within our assumptions about worship, knowledge, faith, celebration, beauty, and redemption. So creation is, this memorial is saying that the doctrine of creation is at the heart of our assumptions about worship, knowledge, faith, celebration, beauty, and redemption. Obviously this is not the place to, to prove how the doctrine of creation is a part of those things. Um, so we'll just take it at face value for, for the time being. In recent decades, many conservative evangelicals have been moved by the science of the day to oppose the historic view of creation in six sequential days of common length, several millennia in the past. We'll, we'll stop there. Um, I, I underlined one thing for here, and that's the science of the day. I put a little asterisk by it, and then I wrote over here, fickle and biased and possibly idolatrous. Um, that would be what I would look, when I think of the science of the day, I think fickle, it's constantly changing, and usually, um, usually it's, it's changing in massive ways. Um, it's biased, especially in sciences that are not hard and fast. Uh, Luke and I have talked about this before. If you're going to build a bridge, that's a hard science. You're either going to get it right or you're going to get it wrong. And so there's, there's zero room for error. Um, but if you're talking about what something ate 230 million years ago, there's obviously enormous range of errors that you can get things wrong and yet people will still consider it science. Uh, and then I said possibly idolatrous, um, and that's, that's more the feeling I get from the unbelieving world um, when they um, kind of almost come to, a, to the foot of the altar of science. And whatever science says, that's what they believe. Never mind the fact that 50 years ago, science said the exact opposite thing. And 50 years from now, science will likely say something completely different than what it says now. Um, what do we think about it so far? Uh, conservative evangelicals being moved by the science of the day. This is not necessarily a time for people to say, oh, you know, I've been moved by that science, or I know people who've been moved by the science. But do we think that that, so far in, in this memorial, is true? That we see that happening within the evangelical conservative church? We're not talking about the uh, skinny branches and the liberals. We're talking about our own people here. Do we see this happening? I think it's more of a cultural thing. We see it happening if that's the direction our culture is going in, we want to be relevant. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I remember the term contextualization. Mm -hmm. Trying to take, take things and make them fit. Going backwards. Right. You know, God's not opposed to truth in any way, shape, or form. So this hostility between science and God has, you know, it's been fabricated and it is a function and a result of the culture and the degree, the degree of how much people hate God. 
and the, and just the absolute rebellion against God. Like they said in Romans 1, they suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. I mean, that, that has reached maybe new heights, at least in my short 65-year life it has. You know, and that's, like that was saying, you cannot violate the laws of God if you want to build a plane and get it up in the air. You can't. God made that law with thermodynamics and all of that, Luke can tell you, and mechanical engineer. You can't, you can't build it how you feel. You can't say, well, I like the way this wing looks versus that one. Well, that wing's not going to sustain that fuselage up there. You can't do it. God, God has hard and fast rules, and they're his rules. Right. And I don't care how much you want to violate them or, or misshape them. Right. You're not going to get that bird in the air if you violate this law. Yep. Yep. Okay, so our, our conservative evangelical brothers, some of which have been moved by the science of the day, like maybe... Um, my mom, Anne, was saying that they want to be relevant, they want to see, seem relevant, they don't want to see as backwards, you know, Scopes Monkey Trials type thing. Um, but they oppose the historic view, it's going, picking up here the uh, memorial, uh, and oppose the historic view of creation in six sequential days of common length, several millennia in the past. Uh, so they're, they're opposing that. Uh, instead, they hold that the bare ideas of creation, now bare ideas of creation, I think that, that what that means is that they're just plain teachings. Like this is, Genesis doesn't try to play itself as poetry. It doesn't try to show this as being something that's symbolic of, of something other than reality. They're just bare ideas. And, but, but, but our brothers here are sometimes being persuaded that those bare ideas presented in Genesis have little to do with the actualities of creation. Then it goes on to say, falsely pitting poetry and symbolism against history. History is something that actually happened. Poetry and symbolism are things that represent something else. They distort the text of scripture and divorce ideas from the created order in ancient Gnostic fashion. Anybody know what Gnostic Gnosticism is or Gnostic fashion, what that's referring to? Separation of spirituality and the material world. Yeah. So. Right? The, idea, the idea that the material world is evil and the spiritual realm is good, right? So, whereas there's a pretty clear thrust of scripture that would say that there's a there's a relationship between the material and the spiritual, and that they right. both are under God's sovereignty. Yeah, yeah. Gnosticism, exactly. Gnosticism is basically just looking at the physical world and thinking. You know what's what's really important is spirituality. You know the physical world it's it's fine, but spirituality that's that's what matters. And that is the Bible, like Andrew was saying, the Bible's opposed to that. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why it, it seems odd sometimes after the resurrection, Jesus does all of these things to prove that he's not a ghost. Um, you know he eats, he has them touch him, he does he he does all kinds of things. For them to show that he's not a ghost because they think he's a ghost. I'm saying no. I'm an actual. I've I've actually been I've risen again. Um, okay, so let's continue with the memorial. It says science and stop me anytime if you guys have something to say. Science is a legitimate and noble pursuit. Amen. As an aspect of the creation mandate, Genesis 1 26 through 28. I actually put that. I wrote that out at the bottom so you guys could see. Since there was only one uh, proof text on this, Genesis 1. 
uh, chapter 126-28 is called the creation mandate. It's also known as the cultural mandate. It's basically God telling Adam and Eve, go into the world, be fruitful, be, uh, multiply, take dominion over the world. Um, and that science is a legitimate way of doing that. So we're not anti-science. Christians should not be fearful or ungrateful for advances in scientific knowledge and technology. Indeed, the best scientific developments have been the fruit of an essentially Christian worldview. Isaac Newton, anybody? Advances in medicine, transportation, communication, computers, etc. are God's good gifts. We therefore encourage the cultivation of the scientific enterprise on the basis of fully biblical principles. Science and the gospel are not inherently antagonistic. So, um, one of the things that I teach my kids when it comes to evolution or anything really scientific that, that is debatable. You know, like I said, I'm not going to debate civil engineering with Luke because those are hard, fast laws. But if it's something that is obviously debatable, we, I like to tell them that science is a very imperfect lens. It, it, it explicitly only deals with the observable. And so if it's only dealing with the observable, it means that there's an entire world outside that's not observable that science really has nothing to say on. And so the Bible and science are not at odds at all. Science, um, when it's, when it's um, done for Christ's glory and with biblical authority, um, gives us a greater understanding of that little lens that it can see. Um, but when we take science and we say science is the answer for everything, science, if, sci if there isn't a scientific paper supporting this, I won't believe it, that's just idolatry. Um, and and that's, that's kind of my, my take on the creation memorial. I'd like to hear what you guys think and if, there's, if we feel like there is anything majorly uh, worrisome about this memorial. The problem is there's so much dishonesty about it all. Yeah. You find people, there's evidence out there for uh, recent creation, but they won't accept it. Right. They won't even look at it. Uh, right. The ocean would be dull enough that there'd be no life in it. The sun would be dead. All kinds of things if we were billions of years old. Right. Yeah. And the same thing applies today to COVID. <laughs> Back in the day when uh, when they wanted to schedule or, or have a debate for the existence of God, let's say on a college campus, they would go get a scientist and they would get a theologian and they would debate. And over the course of time, there were a lot of scientists that started becoming theologians. So what they ended up having to do was go into the philosophy department and now when you see these guys debating the theologian, typically they're going to be debating the philosopher. Well, we all know what that's all about. And so, uh, you know, you just, you can't, there's certain things that you come to, and you, if you're going to deny them, you're going to, you're, you're going to be vi maybe violating something in you that says, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to deny this, I've got to be a liar, and I have to, and I have to, I have to forget about everything I've just learned in order to pursue this avenue here. When, my goodness, the the substance of creation and the substance of a creator and all that is just it really it's undeniable. Right. Um, you know, I salivate when an evolution comes. I like it. I love to talk to them. You know, and yeah. just talk to them. Sure. 
Yeah, and I, it also, I mean, we didn't, we didn't talk a, a lot about this at the beginning, but if the beginning of the Bible is already in question, the, the plain meaning of the Bible is already in question from the moment you open it up, then what else is on the table down the road? Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of things that do not compart with science. You can't have a virgin birth. Scientifically, it's impossible. But thankfully, science doesn't run the world. The, the, the laws that God created that science sometimes can understand, those laws, he has every right to change them whenever he feels like them or work within them in a way that we don't understand. And so science is so fundamentally limited, it can only see a small window of God's creation. And so it's, it's basically the improper tool for trying to understand where we came from or where we, uh, how, the, uh, how the world began. Because you can't observe it anyway. Any other thoughts on that? Or we sing a little bit more? All right. Um, on, the, on those memorials and the memorials to come, you know, once again, these are, if you don't, if you don't find yourself exactly in alignment with these, I wouldn't lose a lot of sleep over this. It's just more like, can you live with this being the cultural norm at the church you worship at? If you're good with that, if you're, if you're okay with people thinking Christian education is the best way, then, then this is not going to be really a problem. If you're okay with people thinking that um, young earth creation is, a, is an okay thing, and that's what we all agree on, then, then even if you're not convinced by it, that as long as you're okay with being around people who are, that's really what these are. They're, they're, they're meant to foster like-mindedness, not so much to separate ourselves from, from, from everyone. We're not trying to ghettoize ourselves into some place where only the few intellectually pure ones can, can survive. It's, we do want like-mindedness, but we also don't want there to be people who are um, not being warmly received because they aren't at a point where they are, have all the same convictions. Okay, so events of the last few weeks have made Psalm 94 very pertinent. Um, when we sing psalms, uh, the scary thing about singing psalms is that you're exposed to the psalms. <laughs> and some psalms are kind of scary. Some psalms seem like, man, that doesn't seem very Christian. Um, and some of those psalms are imprecatory psalms. Uh, and Psalm 94 is kind of a combination. It's not solely an imprecatory psalm, but it certainly ends with an imprecatory or a God cast down. You can ask about imprecatory. Imprecatory, imprecatory is, I should have looked up what the actual definition is, but it's basically where the psalmist is saying, God, deliver me from my enemies, cast down my enemies. You know, basically you're calling God to, um, to smite the people who are opposing you, uh, or by extension opposing him, or just fundamentally opposing him. So Psalm 94 is, is similar to this. Now, uh, this, this comes from the book of Psalms for singing. It's a really good resource. This one's actually in that Cantus Christi as well, which is what I pulled it from. Um, and it, it's set to uh, uh, Franz Joseph Haydn's uh, Austrian hymn. There's lots of different hymns that, have, that use this tune. Um, but uh, if you listen to those YouTube video, that YouTube video, you'll, you'll kind of know what the, what the tune sounds like. But there is six, six verses. So if you, don't, if you don't recognize the tune at first, I think you'll recognize it by the end. So... <laughs> um, but it's really, it's uh, this is this is some strong theology in this one, so don't get uh, don't get too frightened by it. God avenging, so Jehovah. 
Is that bids us all. 
Anybody else who brought stuff? Elizabeth, of course. Great job for hosting us. Thank you. All right. So we're gonna. Yes. What's that? What's that? Okay. So this would be sopranos. This would be the altos. And this see tenors. Yes. What's the part of those of us that have no clue what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. You'll, you'll figure that one out. <laughs> My dog actually. I can just play around too. Exactly. Oh, one of the Okay. Praise God from whom all blessings. 